sorry about that uh, we seem to have a bit of a challenge there with our lines but uh, i uh, certainly hope we have everybody back on the line and uh, michael let me maybe pose the question again uh, and it's based on uh, some of the issues that busi was raising earlier on if we are to dedicate some attention to focus when we think about debt to gdp on the denominator which is the growth in gdp as well um you know what then are the options that are open to us uh, when it comes to uh, uh, sustainably managing, I guess, our borrowing requirements over a long period of time uh, and keeping um, debt within sustainable levels? I think, um, you, you know, in economics with, with these things, it, 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 the, the right answer is always it depends. It depends on the conditions we face. And if we could be, because debt, when we talk about debt, we're talking about private markets. You, we're borrowing from people who are voluntarily, voluntarily deciding to lend to us. And then you have to take into account what, what are the conditions under which they will lend. Now, if there is a case that can be made that is convincing that uh, a higher government expenditure would kickstart a new process, uh, would, would crowd in private investment, and kickstart a new uh, sustainable process of economic growth uh, over time, uh, then it would certainly make a lot of sense to, to go into debt in the meantime and, and in order to contribute to that process. The problem is it's very difficult to make that uh, case credible, that uh, simply kind of re- because government, the quality of government, partly because the quality of government spending has been so poor, if we look, for instance, at the infrastructure projects, that government has led around ESCOM, uh, uh, um, the, the, the idea that simply by increasing the, the deficit, uh, we would generate a new process of growth um, uh, is, is kind of a difficult, uh, it's difficult to convince people of that, quite frankly. Mm. Um, mm. If you look uh, at a country like India, India has high interest rates on their government debt, almost as high as South Africa. And they are taking some of the measures that Busi is suggesting. So the measures that Busi is suggesting are certainly uh, that they are taking place, including in emerging markets like India. Mm. But now if you look at the forecast for India's growth next year, uh, not this 2021, but next year, once the, the coronavirus is gone, people are expecting them to grow at 11 percent. Huh? And uh, so in a sense, it doesn't matter what they do. Because uh, people have confidence that tomorrow they will have the resources to pay back whatever financial uh, stretching elasticity they, mm. they, they applied for now. Tomorrow I guess it helps to have a billion people. To pay it back. Whereas in South Africa, our growth in this forecast for the outer mm. year for, for 2023 is 1.5%. And it's amongst the lowest growth rates in the world. So I don't think there's uh, simple answers to any of these questions. It mm. all depends on the conditions we face and, and whether South Africa can convince the world, in a sense, and itself that uh, it, can, it can embark on, on growth. And I, I, just to mm. conclude, I would say, actually, that's really the problem, is sure, how do sure. we ex- uh, get growth going? And uh, really, the fiscal, the, the idea that fiscal policy is going to get growth gro- going or the budget mm. spending will get growth growing, I find it difficult. Uh, I don't find it a very strong argument. But also the idea that you can have a fiscal consolidation uh, and that will solve the problem of uh, debt, of growth. Mm. I also don't think is credible mm. because 
we're just going to, as Boosie says, take the wind out of demand and GDP is going to go down and it becomes a, a cycle in the other direction. Sure, so sure. really the issue is about how does South Africa get growth going again? And, and yeah. that's a difficult and probably different discussion. Isaiah, let me bring you in there. I mean, Michael says it's about telling a very convincing and credible story. Um, and I want to hear from you. I mean, you work in the financial markets uh, and interact with, um, you know, uh, a lot of uh, how sentiment moves, asset values and prices and all manner of things. Um, you know, would the market have received this as a convincing signal that we can sustainably deal uh, with the debt challenge that we have and uh, its impact, I guess, in crowding out other uh, uh, forms of priority spending? The answer, I think, is it's a conditional yes, which means the market would believe a short term, you will see the decline in bond yields. It's a smaller deficit, but also debt that is peaking uh, uh, at a lower level than previously expected. But I think what requires more convincing is actually implementing the, uh, you know, the wage reductions that National Treasury has penciled in. But what is important, as Michael says, is economic growth. That's where the convincing has to be quite robust. But mm. you how do you see that relationship? How, how do you see that relationship between those reductions and that as a signal and, of course, uh, the transmission to economic growth? So obviously, you have to have a sustainable fiscal uh, before, before you, can, you can actually uh, you know, convince the market to be, to be you know, that your, your reform process is going to work. Because if your fiscal is not sustainable, it means you are going to increasingly take uh, resources to pay interest costs. And those resources should be used to invest and boost economic growth. But let's just look at what is required, really. Fundamentally, fast-growing countries have technological innovation that improves. They have an increasing productivity. They also invest in human capital improvement, and they have a strong industrial base that is dynamic. All those for South Africa, I think we are on a negative. Now, we are trying to lump everything into fiscal policy as if fiscal policy can solve our energy problems and as if fiscal policy can solve our lack of skilled uh, uh, personnel, as if fiscal policy, or even monetary policy for that matter, can solve the, the high cost base of the economy through roads and inefficient parts, that cannot be solved using the, uh, you know, in, in financial terms. It requires a regulatory reform that makes sure that uh, we, we actually get skills, we have an, a productive population, and we, we, we actually get entrepreneurs to innovate. It's outside of monetary policy, it's outside of fiscal policy. But in the immediate term, we need to get our fiscal sustainable while we try to reform our economy so that the micro sectors, they are competitive, they are dynamic, and they can attract entrepreneurs to grow the economy. Because every country you are, I don't care which country, 90% of jobs are created by the private sector, not by government. Now, if we don't put an emphasis on actually a private sector-driven economy, then we will have problems. Yes, it's pandemic that we are dealing with, and that's where you see the emergence of big governments. But let's look at South Africa's government. We all agree that its capacity has declined 
over the last decade. Now, we cannot say in, in the same sentence, it is the very same government that must push economic growth. With what capacity? I, I think we'll be fooling ourselves. So okay, we need Isaiah, government. let's do this. Let's do this. I, th- I think you, you know, that was a poignant moment. I mean, it's one of those radio moments where you say, at, at what cost? Um, and we pause. There. I want us to pause there for a second and uh, take a quick spot break because I think uh, you're raising some very important points um, around uh, notions of state intervention and I guess the capacity to be able to carry out uh, some of that intervention. Uh, and I want us to pause here. When we come back, we're going to unpack some of the uh, key areas of uh, expenditure, healthcare, education, higher education, uh, you know, small business development, um, and I guess uh, what emerges from many of the budget votes uh, that we saw in the budget review earlier on today. So 21 minutes it is, or now 20 minutes, I should say, before 9 p.m. We're going to take a brief break, and uh, when we come back, I continue with my guests, Busi, Isaiah, and Michael. Eighteen minutes it is before nine PM. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro. It's our uh, a budget speech analysis, and uh, this evening joined by Busi Sibego from the Institute for Economic Justice, and Isaiah Mchlanga from Alexander Forbes Investments, and uh, Michael Sachs from the Southern Center for Inequality Studies at Wits University. And uh, uh, I guess, Michael, let me let me come to you just on uh, some of the points that Isaiah was raising there. Um, one about, I guess. Uh, you know, this idea of a big state and uh, no doubt continues as a debate in South Africa around state intervention. Um, and uh, I guess also the world has moved in, in terms of uh, a lot of these debates as well. Uh, but your your view just on how we deal with some of these issues, both when it comes to debt sustainability, but also the fallout of some of these massive reductions. I mean, if we think about, you know, the implications of uh, the reductions in the National Student Financial Aid Scheme, uh, you think about the reductions in, um, you know, the the higher education budgets more broadly, and even in social grants, uh, you know, um, minus 10.9% down foster grants. Uh, you had a similar, you know, minus uh, 3.2% on the part of child support grants as well. How do we deal with the fallout that comes from that, where there's a decline in the real value of these grants, and yet there's an expectation that 300,000 more recipients might come online uh, in the MTF period? Well, it's, uh, it's, I, I think, let, let me say, I would distinguish between two things that the state does. Uh, the one is to provide uh, goods and services, and the other is to transfer resources between citizens. So the goods and services the state provides, the core goods and services the state provides is uh, education, health care, and the grim- criminal justice system. Uh, so there are the, all of those employ um, the 1.3 million public servants that we have. The vast majority of them are teachers and nurses and doctors and police officers and uh, court clerks and things. And, and it's important to always bear in mind that they're doing something important. They may not be doing it well. We may have criticisms about the way uh, the, 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 the inefficiencies and but they're, they're providing a service. And if we're going to force down the value of that uh, service, of the, because what you could think of it like this, th- these inputs like compensation spending or goods and services that the government buys, it's nice to say let's 
control the inputs, but those inputs are, are pr- producing outputs. And the outputs are education and criminal justice system and healthcare. And if the value of the inputs is falling, it's likely that the value of the outputs is also going to fall. And that is going to have consequences for economic growth because uh, education uh, in particular, but also criminal justice and healthcare are uh, kind of core to, to you know, how, how growth uh, kind of takes place in society and, one of the big, and, and are about the big constraints on economic growth. So in a long-term structural sense as well, uh, I don't think it's... I mean, we can always say people must become more efficient at what they do. Uh, but uh, my my general assumption is that there will be not there will not be huge efficiency gains in the next three years, but I know that there will be huge reductions in the resource availability. So, so I think uh, the growth, the the, the 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 malady, the thing that is preventing South Africa from, South Africa from growing is very deep, and uh, uh, it uh. requires to address it. It requires a, a thoroughgoing restructuring of South African society, uh, which I don't think uh, we're really even having a discussion about properly uh, at the moment. Sure. Busi, let, let, let me bring you in here, um, just on the higher education side of things. Um, I mean, we saw, uh, you know, one of the uh, suggestions in the, uh, uh, in the budget there was a reconsideration of the support given to uh, a poor and low-income households uh, when it comes to uh, higher education. And let me maybe read it as it, as it was written. It says the sector may also need to consider revising its policy positions in support of poor and working class students in higher education and training, including the maximum allowances for accommodation, transport and food. Uh, And of course, this is in reference to um, some of the declines that are expected uh, for NASFAS. I think uh, a negative 1.2% in the medium term for the next three years or so. Uh, And the question many people are asking, is this a reversal clearly of, um, I guess, the uh, uh, the uh, gains that have been made on the back of uh, what we saw a few years ago with fees must fall. Absolutely. Um, I think it is critical here to discuss how um, there is, there's a socialization, or rather failure is socialized, right? The failure to curb um, the absolute debt since 2012 by National Treasury is leading to this position where, you know, everybody... Um, has to basically, well, except business and high-income earners, have to basically um, shoulder the burden of getting our country back on, you know, on track, so to speak. And it is re- literally the moralization of, of austerity, right? It's this idea that there's no other choice but for all of us to take, um, you know, some sort of fall for the betterment of the future. And ultimately what it asks us to do is to say that we are you know, we are going to take these quote-unquote short-run costs for long-run gains. But I think it is very important to acknowledge that we cannot say that human rights matter tomorrow more than they matter today, because human rights matter today. Access to education matters today, right? These students who won't be able to go into this education system today, right, are not doing it for, like, in the future somebody else can do so. And I think it's very critical that when we talk about um, sort of cuts in tertiary education, when we talk about these budget cuts, we talk about what are people being asked to give up today for a potential future outcome. That might not even be true. And I think it's deeply unfair 
um, that, you know, poor students in particular, poor people in particular, are the ones who are going to shoulder, uh, you know, the burdens of um, this austerity budget. And I'm going to call it an austerity budget, despite um, this whole rhetoric around pro-growth fiscal consolidation. It is austerity because it is a political decision. It's not just a technical one, right? There mm-hmm. are always alternatives. And our National Treasury is not choosing those alternatives. They're not choosing um, to make sure that those NSF students are, are funded and well-funded. And, and I guess it also links to the larger question about the public sector wage bill and the role of the state, right? If you are cutting um, funding for students in nursing, what are you saying about the future of these students in the mm. sector itself, which you are actually trying to shrink at a larger level, right? You are saying the public sector wage bill in South Africa is too large anyway. Um, and so we have to link it to the larger issue here, which is how are we envisioning the pathway from NFA students to the public sector wage bill, which sure, is sure. under attack. Okay. I want us to pause there for a second and uh, take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, uh, get some perspective from uh, Isaiah and Michael and Busi as well. And uh, as we continue with our discussion and uh, yeah, interestingly, of course, um, you know, five years to the day since uh, the budget was delivered uh, after the weekend special uh, debacle of December 2015. Um, And uh, if we are to go back to that budget of 2016, uh, one of the things that was uh, mooted around headcount issues in the public service was a uh, freeze on administrative and managerial posts. And when we come back, uh, Michael Sachs, I want to find out whether or not, um, in your assessment, we're able to resolve that particular issue or whether there's still more space uh, as we think about uh, public sector headcount uh, to undertake uh, that, uh, uh, that path once again. Ten minutes it is uh, before 9 p.m. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we continue. <laughs> 